Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Welcome to the show. Firstly, apologies for the slight delay in getting this one out to you. We had a lockdown, homeschooling, computer, glass of water incident at Unfound HQ. But we're back online now and we'll have two episodes for you this week. Today, I'm joined by Chris McNamara. Chris is a very experienced racer, having raced for over 26 years. He's held an elite license in the UK since its inception. He's represented Team GB, but he's also a very well-known and very well-respected cycling coach working for TrainSharp. He's coached an array of riders up to world tour level. And today he joins me to discuss all these topics and a lot more. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Chris McNamara. Chris, thank you very much for, for joining me. How are you getting on? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, dealing dealing with the lockdown like um, like everyone else, but uh, yeah, getting there, getting through. Yeah, crazy times, isn't it? I did a full introduction before before you came online, but it'd um, be good to, for you to sort of tell us a little bit more about your background as a racer prior to getting into coaching. And when did you start cycling? How did you get into the sport? Well, I'm not really, I'm not from a cycling family. I'm, I'm a, a twin, but I started cycling in 1988 and me and my brother bunked off school one day, went to the video shop and hired a film called American Flyers, probably a bit of a, probably no one's really heard of, but it was about a cycle race in America and it really fired our imagination. So we um, went down to the local cycling club, found out about the local cycling club in Halfords, I think, and then uh, went down there one night and just gradually sort of, we were really into football at the time and, and then got more and more into cycling to the point we packed up football. And I, I mean, I t- took up cycling more because I'd, I played football from a young age, like under yeah. seven or something, and it was a uh, you know the classic like really pushy parents and what have you. And I wanted to do something that non-competitive, and I just enjoyed riding my bike and riding with other people. So yeah, that's how we got into it. Given given how pushy cycling has become today, yeah. <laughs> it's gone role reversal almost, yeah, hasn't yeah, it? Role reversal, yeah. And uh, we were we were very fortunate that uh, we were schoolboys, and we had this great coach at, in the Worthing Excelsior called Paul West, who went on to work with BC, and he was amazing. He took us all over the country doing ra- random schoolboy races in sort of caravan parks and car park crits and what have you. But yeah, it was fantastic times. Amazing. So th- obviously, you started in '88. I think that was the perfect time to catch the the wave, really, with Borderman winning in '92, and cycling sort of slowly grew from there, really, didn't yeah, it? In yeah, terms of, yeah. did, did you yeah, see yeah. that? Did you feel that you guys were growing with cycling? The racing scene was growing domestically. There was more interest in cycling internationally as well. I, th- I mean, I think at that time, especially say because I was at school, it was still like a real minority sport, and the, the governing body and the funding and everything. I mean, it's chalk and cheese to what it's like now. But but then again, there there was lots of opportunities because of that. So maybe the talent pool wasn't quite so deep. So you got selected for trips and the centre of excellence and what have you and able to go on all these amazing trips, probably because there were less good riders around, I guess. That's true, actually. When did National Lottery come in? I think that was was around 96-ish. Maybe a bit before that, I think. Wasn't it for the... To, to fund the, the bid for the the Commonwealth Olympics, yeah, maybe about ninety two, I think. Yeah, okay, and that, and obviously that's when we started to see a little bit more money coming into the sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we were just talking offline before we started recording, just in terms of that was really sort of on the cusp of the generation before sort of Brits really made an impact internationally into cycling as well. Be keen to get your sort of view in terms of you know what, what were the sort of major hurdles for for a young up-and-coming British cyclist in terms of trying to make it abroad and was it a structure thing a cultural thing a psychological thing a bit of everything was it the drug scene at the time what what are your views on that I think I think it was a bit of everything I mean the, the riders who were successful say for my generation and maybe just after my generation were all mega talents who, who who had that sort of will and desire who just just to go to France to go to Belgium pack up your suitcase and, and just go to go and do it on your own without any support yeah. 
got massive admiration for those riders. So like likes of like Roger Hammond just uproots, go to go to Belgium, yeah. ride ride the Camus Casino and really put yourself in it. But there wasn't that structure in place of like a pathway from say like schoolboy to junior to senior where there's an organised route. And that, those guys were just just impressed the teams they rode for and just climbed the ranks that way. And that's the thing I think that's really changed in the sport now with the with the when, when the funding started to come in and there were clear clear routes. So like the, you know the development programs and what have you. So and the riders then started to you could really see it that the riders were, were getting results and then they would they would believe that they were competitive whereas I think maybe the generation I came I, I started with and especially the generation before that the the racing then maybe you don't want to bring up to- doping too much but there there had been a doping problem throughout the sport uh, and it's something we used to see when we used to go and ride the Kermesses in in Belgium and the guy taking us John Barkley who's a real legend in the sport would say certain riders might have tested positive in France a few weeks before yet yeah, they were still racing the, the, the races we were doing and they were just Jesus. crazy fast crazy fast yeah so yeah. Um, i think the i think the success of the brits this is in my opinion personally is that the of a number of things the funding is probably the, the biggest the biggest factor but also I, I do really believe that racing really cleaned up and it, and that, that enabled this this whole generation to be that bit more competitive or a lot more competitive as it turned out to be so i had that platform there to be able to be successful but whereas you were coming through you kind of not only try to sort of wing it and figure out how you get over there where you race as well as being up against sort of a bit of a dope, doping culture as well it must have been quite a fascinating period to race and live through as well quite interesting to see it first yeah, yeah. interesting for sure <laughs> yeah 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 exactly. i'm gonna make it i think no matter what but i, I think there were there was some very very talented riders who just got to, there's, there's i think we think that crucial age around 18 19 when riders have learned to drive and there's going out and there's all these other distractions and there were some amazing juniors especially just a couple of years before i was a final year junior who was who was so competitive but didn't seem to go any further once once they turned senior and yeah i think i think the funding was was a huge factor in that very difficult so obviously you're very active in the, in the domestic scene here in the uk for for listeners that are from overseas i think i think actually most most listeners of the podcast are actually overseas i think but tell everyone a little bit around about the domestic scene how it works throughout the year what are the major events and how that's also evolved in the last sort of 20 years or so uh, so the domestic scene at the highest level has always been either the it's called the premier Canada now it used to be the star trophy and that, that's quite interesting, interesting that there's so much more funding in the sport now, but the number of these races has just declined and declined. And I think that oh, really? for a number of reasons, maybe uh, the cost of the racing and traffic conditions, safety. But I think when the, when the Premier Canada first came about, it, there was around 20, 28 dates. And then last year, I think there was maybe eight, which is the rounds of the National Trophy. And oh, so wow. great races have just disappeared by the wayside things like tour the peaks tour the cotswolds some real real you know classics so that's the top level of the sport and then underneath that you've got what's classed as national b races and these are your kind of regional open road races and uh, open to like i would say like decent amateurs but anyone with i would say with a bit of determination and grit can get to that level to rate to race in that b's but they can be quite random in that especially early season you can find yourself lining up against all the, like the pro conti guys who may have just done like yeah. pro for Yorker and what have you so they could they, they're random they can be incredibly hard or you know in the summer when the racing tends to thin out a bit they're a bit more a bit more doable a bit more competitive for your average rider and with regards to the premier calendar i mean do you think that the success of british riders abroad has almost been detrimental to the domestic scene i, I think it it's, it's a difficult one I, I think when it was when it was the star trophy and maybe like you say before the riders where there was that clear pathway where riders were going abroad then probably the, the strength in depth in the premiers Actually, this is different because actually the premiers now are such professional races and so yeah. it's the team. They are incredibly hard. So I would say they were almost 
more achievable for your average, say, like club first and second cat rider, maybe 15, 20 years ago to, to be competitive in than they are now. I mean, they really are they really are a, a good level. And it was interesting, a, a rider I coached who had raced at World Tour who came back to domestic level, one of the comments he made was that it was just, it was, a, it was very hard racing for him doing prems, but it was yeah. just a different style of racing, whereas, whereas the, the bigger races in Europe might be, you know, they're, they're far more controlled. So an early break will go, there'll be teams riding behind and there'll be a decisive point in the race where the, the break's likely to go. But for the guys in the Premier calendar race, it, it's always a bit different. They're just an attack fest from the start and you might have to cover like 15 moves or so and, and the break can go at any time. There is no clear sort of script to the race, which I think actually makes them you know, pretty exciting. Yeah, it's an absolute carnage. Yeah, yeah. And brutal. <laughs> yeah, good to watch. Interesting. And when when did you start coaching? What, what part of your career did you start getting into coaching? So I was I, I was coached by uh, I sorry, I worked for Train Chat, obviously, but I was coached by John for a number of years, and obviously just right, okay. John and, and it, uh, John was one of the, the sort of first companies to really set up and have a quite a significant client base, and he was looking for a, another experienced kind of road rider. And as I've been coached by him. I started go, going in a day a week and seeing how the whole company worked. And yeah, and just, just grew the, John grew the role for me. So I, I was very fortunate to just be in the right place at the right time. And you and John go way back, do you? Did you used to race together as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. John John, uh, yeah. John won the Sussex Divs way back in the day. I was in the break with him that day and it ended up with three of us. I think he was at a very fast finish, John. You couldn't take him to the finish. <laughs> yeah, he was a good rider. So the business has grown significantly. And um, one of the reasons I was quite keen to, to get you on the podcast is that really you coach a huge array of cyclists. And I think there's often a misconception around coaching. Who would you say should be looking at getting a coach? Who can benefit from getting a coach and coaching? And what, what are your views just generally in terms of the, the benefits of working, for, say, before we get into the more sort of top-end competitive coaching but just for the general cyclist that wants to improve what, what should they be looking for and, and how can coaching benefit them i think for most riders i mean this is, this is my personal cycling is an awful lot more fun when you're fit and you can go out and do longer rides enjoy them and not not feel like you're on your hands and knees after an hour and a half so you know from, from riders right the way through from might be preparing for a sporty for literally we've got riders who just want to be strong on the club run or preparing you know ziff racing ziff racing is an interesting one had ride, i've had riders in the past who pretty much don't want to ride outdoors in the slightest this was before lockdown and just enjoy the indoor racing element so you know the array of wow. riders i think who can benefit from coaching is a uh, Pretty much, pretty much anyone really and I think some of the, the factors that are probably the most important are that sense of uh, accountability whereas with a cycle most of us are quite competitive people but you do tend to train your strengths quite regularly and do the things that you like doing rather than maybe what is actually going to make you a better cyclist or make you a stronger faster cyclist and I think everyone I think everyone who gets on a bike quite enjoys that feeling of riding fast there's nothing quite like it when you're hooning along and feeling feeling at one with the bike and everything flows and they're the sort of days you really uh really strive for and i think i think absolutely firsthand i can say that that accountability is key i think many cyclists they'll be doing various online trading programs or just trying to wing it or or just lost their way a little bit with cycling and i think that's what coaching can give someone in the first instance is just a bit of structure a little bit of focus and a bit of a plan to to get to where they want to get to that's it i'm a massive believer in work work ethic trumps everything so consistency of training is everything and everyone has those days where you get up and maybe you're not quite feeling it but it's quite a different motivation when you know someone's actually going to be looking at your ride file and or not, not so much checking up on you but it just give, just give that little extra spur just to 
just to get the work done. And then you, there's always that nice feeling of satisfaction when you when you've completed your session, get home, and think, great, that and relax. I think a lot of like it's like that, like that uh, sort of um, reward process where you feel like you can't actually ever properly can't relax nicely until you've until you've done your training, ticked it off, sit on the sofa with it, yeah, exactly. nailed it. <laughs> exactly nailed it there's nowhere to hide and that and that's obviously that, that correlation has correlated with power meters becoming more accessible to pretty much all cyclists now Every, everyone can train smarter and have that accountability and that must really i was going to ask you what you've seen since you started coaching how has coaching evolved and i suppose that that data element is the, the key bit right yeah for sure yeah so when i first started with john i mean it was a case of you would send out an email with a, a pdf of their week planned out in front of them and it might be some a lot of riders probably maybe 50 50 were working to heart rate you know power and not no, by no means did everyone have a power meter and you were, you were prescribing the efforts but you didn't really have a way of looking looking at the files and and seeing how they were you know how they were performing the session and be able to give tips and now now i think that's something that's changed a lot and made it so much better and such a better experience for the riders is using something like we use today's plan so you can you, know, you get set the session you, you upload and straight away you can look at the file see how you performed the session ways you could improve it did you go out too hard whatever during a certain effort and if everything's everything's traceable so it depends how deep you want to go into the analytics bit from things like you know, your subjective wellness your sleep quality to your mood etc your body metric metrics weight and what have you so everything can be tracked and traced and all with that best intention of making you, you know, fitter and faster which is the overall goal yeah exactly it's what we're all aiming for what would you say i mean a lot of tra- um, sort of self-trained athletes out there that have reached a, a pretty good level but, but what what are the sort of major mistakes or the major lessons that you can help with or you see what are the major mistakes that you see athletes making on a on a week-to-week day-to-day basis i would say the first one would be probably not not taking their recovery as seriously as you do your training so it's, it's keeping in mind that you've got to recover to adapt and everyone needs a needs a rest day you see a lot of riders just just riding absolutely day in day out and then you end up in this state of fatigue and i call this like riding in a gray area where you're not fresh enough to to hit the numbers that are actually going to make some nice positive adaptations so you're not you're not riding hard enough to create that but you're not riding easy enough to to recover either so you're just kind of gray area all the time where you're in a bit of a state of fatigue and i call that like it's like stale form so your, your performance chart tends to look like very a very flat line and you're not really making any improvement and you, you feel you feel that yourself in a ride that's, that's a state especially during the racing season that it's, it's quite easy to slip into because you might be doing a very similar workload week in week out once the racing starts and that's where shaping the the season for the rider and putting in actual blocks of rest or overload weeks really comes in yeah i think that's so key right i mean i think managing obviously your your training in terms of executing the sessions you need to do and then the recovery and sleep critical as well right and then your stress off the bike if you've got a day-to-day job and a family and stuff getting the equilibrium across everything is so difficult which is why i think having a coach that you can bounce ideas or communicate with it's a little bit more flexible are you constantly sort of tweaking things for your athletes in terms of having a bit of a rough time off the bike or then you know not sleeping well or yeah for sure is it a, uh, yeah that's pretty much okay. what my, my entire day job is so for example this morning someone who did a ride on the weekend when when actually it was wasn't supposed to be a hard ride but it turned into a hard ride and and she was saying yeah she felt tired and she started her warm-up this morning and you, you, you know there's a fine line between riding yourself into the session and then and knowing when you're going to put you know you're, you're not going to achieve the numbers and you're probably going to 
put yourself in a deeper hole. So, you know, they just get, get quick call on the phone and we rearrange the week a little bit. And we made today a recovery spin and we'll have a go at the session in, uh, tomorrow. It's that kind of thing. Re- rearranging the week, trying to get trying to get the most out of the week for a particular rider. Yeah, it's a constant feedback loop, isn't it? It's, that's, it's a constantly trying to push yourself, but also remain fresh enough to push yourself for the next, you know, at the right yeah. times and the right stages of the week, isn't it? And And you've been working with a a number of elite athletes as well it'd be fascinating to get an idea of in their numbers what they look like and and uh, you know how how do you identify sort of top end talent at such a young age at a young age the, the testing at the at the hq is quite well that's, that's a very good guide so it can be a thing of obviously i go to a lot of races myself and sometimes i'll, I'll do a race and there might be a junior with dispensation riding and straight away you just think that someone will really impress you and i might say to john you know, tell him about him. Say, oh, man, this kid really impressed me, and we might we might even you know reach out and say, are you working with anyone? Are you interested in working with anyone? From that yeah. process, we might get someone into the, get the rider into the HQ. We do a series of physiological testing, see see just where they're at, and that can give us a good guide into you know where they are in terms of what we think their potential is, what we think their potential strengths and weaknesses are. I mean, the riders themselves usually have a pretty good idea of what they consider their strengths and weaknesses. And it's quite interesting to see whether the tests back that up. And yeah. A good question for riders always. Uh, if you could win a race, or how how do you think is your, what do you think is your best way of winning a race, or your best chance with your physical attributes? And then hearing from them what they what they what they consider to be their best way, then you can give a lot more. Advice. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's what was, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because actually, I think sometimes the fitter you get, you, you you get to know yourself better as an athlete as well. When do you start tailoring the 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 training towards the specific athlete? So if you you've picked up a young sprinter, do you start sort of building that strength from from an early age or are you just trying to build their broader endurance and their just all-round cycling ability when do you really start focusing on where cyclists see yeah, themselves or where you see on, them going on i guess on how their results are going at that particular time because you might have say someone come into the lab and they'll do an amazing sprint on, on the on the indoor work and you think well man you should have so much confidence that if, if the race comes down to either like, you know, a group finish or a, a sprint from a small breakaway you should be really really confident and you could lead it out and you, if you can reproduce these numbers but obviously then from the the racing results it's no good having a really good sprint if you're if you're not there to use it you know not there in, in at the finish so it could be say for a certain rider building the engine building that threshold power little sustainable efforts that are going to see them maybe make the selections and be able to use that sprint finish yeah yeah i mean let's say it's, it's so it's so individual and, and you see some riders maybe who are very physically mature their age especially especially say at that junior level and they'll come in and and you think yeah they, you can see why they'll be very very successful at that at those younger age groups because they're almost like it's like men competing against boys and it does tend to even out obviously as they, as they get get older but that, that bit's quite difficult to predict that sort of who's going to keep on progressing and making improvements year on year and that must be it must make it one of the most satisfying jobs and probably almost the most frustrating jobs in the world as well you've got an athlete that on paper in terms of numbers you know should be doing x yet there's a, you know do you see the psychological element do you work with athletes on that side of things race yeah, yeah, tactics sure, yeah. or just just belief as well right just believing yeah, yeah. themselves and this can this can be another another good thing of actually myself personally I like when I do races that when I'm actually racing with the riders because you actually get to see what they're like and you know how they react in races and how or usually more how proactive they are and there's some riders I coach and you know, their numbers are really really good and you know their fitness levels are good and that you're riding a race and you'll see a, a move start to go up the road and you almost have to give them a little nudge and say oh, is it, yeah, get in it. This. You, you need to be there 
And there's, there's, there's just crucial moments in races when, and that is, that is, I think, experience can really come in where you just get a sense that everyone's a little bit tired, their attacks have been going and going and going, and maybe at the next ones, you just get a feeling the race is going to split now. And they're, they're, every race is like that. There'll be that certain moment where it's almost like that, that's one attack and then, then there's almost like a switch off because everyone's naked. <laughs> that's the group that's rolling yeah. off. But a lot of the time, it's just yeah. having that mental strength to keep going with them, believing in yourself and keep going with the moves. And, you, and really that's experience as well, though, right? I mean, really, do you feel... Do you feel that experience with your racing now it must give you such an advantage? Oh yeah, yeah, for myself, yeah, because because I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. my numbers are probably going or are, are going down, <laughs> and you and yeah. as you get older, actually I say my numbers are going down, but it's, it's the explosive bit, elements that you lose as you get older, and you just learn to race in a in a different way, and it makes you. I think it's quite good because you get a lot more calculating about how you're going to get, say, like go across to moves and what have you, rather than waiting and doing a massive effort up a climb. Generally, there's always going to be a, it's looking for the lulls in the races and just doing those little sneak off moves, and they actually work really well. <laughs> Use your cunning as you get older. Rely less on the legs. Yeah, exactly. And do you have athletes all around the world? How 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 does sort of talk through how an athlete would work with you or how you work with an athlete? Is it? Yeah, we have. So, I mean, as a company, we have riders literally all over the world. I coach a, a young girl out in the United Arab Emirates, and so that so that relationship, I think that that came initially from. I think that was a message over Instagram, actually. And then some phone calls, and she's really keen to race. And so the, the, the process of a, a rider starting with us, that's usually how it works. You have initial contact, followed by a phone call, and really this thing there, you're trying to establish where they are and where they want to get to and what their ultimate dream is in cycling. And try and figure out a little bit about them as their strengths and weaknesses. And then you know, usually we'd, I'd start with a set of block of training and maybe a test effort. And for most riders, getting them into that nice sort of structured routine, and then you can start to work out a little bit more about them and what makes them tick especially when you start to see like uh, race files and what have you. And do you work with your riders from a nutrition perspective as well? Is that something that you feel that a lot of riders are asking you around weight management or you asking them to manage their weight? Yeah, I'm not a sports nutritionist, but I think I can give some, some pretty decent advice. And I think one of the best bits of advice is not to make things too complicated. You can, you can make things way way more complex than they need to be and it's keeping you know you know when you're when you're eating clean and you're eating sensibly and the bits like timing is probably the most important kind of advice finding a routine and almost sticking to what you know works for you so on race day that might be like i mean i always try and say like have your last solids three hours before sip on your carb drink and working out what what say like if you've got confidence in a in a particular breakfast whatever that might be whether that's your oats or whether it might be eggs and rice or whatever it might be before your for a big race then once you're happy with it just just stick to what you know and you know you're not going to have an upset stomach and you you know you're not going to feel empty and and working out the given the nutrition advice in the race i think that's a real big thing that riders tend to forget a little bit about especially when the when the adrenaline is flowing and they're in, into the race, just keep getting fuel in the tank. Keep getting fuel in the tank. If you want to, if you want to be strong in the final hour, then you need to need to keep getting, getting the gels down. You're getting the bars down. You early on and stoke the fires, basically. Do you have like a set timing with with eating during races, or it depends on the race, I suppose? But what, what do you generally advise to people how often they should be eating and what they should be eating? Well, yeah. So you, you, you most riders, you'd be looking to get around around 80 grams, 75, 80 grams of carbon per hour. And when you look at that in real terms, that's probably a bottle, a bar and a gel. And there are, there's some new right. products in the market that are maybe higher carb content, although they can, they can be a little bit, I find a bit funny on the stomach. So it's just that bit of work out, say, I mean, there's di- different manufacturers of gels might have a different 
amount of carbohydrate in and same with drinks and you might it's, might find that if you try and get too much in then you do get those stomach cramps and what have you so key thing for the riders is to try things in training before they're going to try it in racing but for, for most guys it's, it's just a, a mental reminder to just to, to, to say like okay you need to get down a uh, gel down you and maybe like half a bar per hour or whatever it might be once we've worked out what, what product they're using and and really drilling that into them to practice that in training as well as racing. It's, it's so key and it's so easy to forget when you are racing. Yeah, well, I would say one of the things for myself personally that took me a long, long time to to realise just how important that was. And I used to always used to think it was a fitness thing that was maybe well might be lacking a little bit in the in the in the last hour of a race, but oh, yeah, get the nutrition right and it's yeah, game changer. Slight segue in, in topic now. I'd be really interested to get your view given the current situation on this year's tour de france from a coaching perspective so it looks like the tour might be happening or certainly it's scheduled to happen at the end of is it august i think it's so yeah, quite yeah. Un- there's a very, there's yeah, a very uh, busy calendar isn't there yeah crazy calendar but just looking at the tour it's quite unprecedented to have a race where all riders will be arriving on the start line fresh with no racing in the legs and some have been riding outside and some have been stuck on the turbo. I mean, what, just from a purely, from a coaching physiological perspective, how do you think it will impact the race? What, what do you, are you excited? I think it could make for a fascinating race, right? I mean, what, what are your views yeah, on it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I was thinking it could either go two ways. Either the riders are going to be super conservative and say, leave any attacks to very late on on the final climb, or, or it could maybe go the other way, or it could be a, bit of a smash fest with riders really going for it and then paying the price the next day on the other side of that i was thinking these guys say like you know your garen thomas is all the, all the gc leaders they're going to have their data going back for years their their training data and whether they're racing or not you look at how you know they, they know where they need to be and what what sort of markers in form they'll be looking for to reach a certain day so i saw like garen thomas had flown out i think he flew out to france yesterday and, and that does give them, obviously, uh, they'll, they'll know that the load he needs to do and the, the hours and the intensity to get him into pretty damn similar condition to his tour winning form. So it'd be interesting. I think it'd be, I'm not that sure the lack of racing is going to have that big an effect because basically it's the training. The training is where you make the gains. And you do need maybe, I think the racing for a lot of the time, for, for a lot of the riders, probably isn't actually as hard as their training sessions they're going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah be interesting but, uh, yeah but i i i see your point and they can you're almost arriving in perfect condition but ultimately we've seen year after year first week of the tour is always sketchy there are always crashes and i think there might be even more given no one's been racing for three or yeah. four months i mean it's the one thing with lockdown i think it's really made me appreciate how much you the the, the professional racing calendar shapes you do you really look forward to you know like spring love the spring classics and then you yeah, exactly yeah. Right? And it's like your markers in the year, and it's, it's the bit I've absolutely missed the most out of lockdown and had to watch on my cycle. Yeah, exactly. With, with no pro sport, it's, it, I don't know. It yeah, just feels like you're treading well. water. <laughs> no race, <laughs> exactly. No pro sport on the telly. Oh, that's boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And in terms of, you mentioned lockdown. Um, it's obviously pretty frustrating for, for a lot of racers and cyclists from around the world. What, what are your favourite races in the calendar that you're missing um, this year or potentially missing this year? So I love uh, the um, Strada Bianchi, and the Cobble Classics, and probably something like Tour Lombardi. I, I, I do, I do enjoy the the one day races more. I like it where everything's on the line on the day. The worlds are always fantastic. You know, I think especially the worlds, watching a race develop over a circuit's really, really interesting dynamic. And I, so like the worlds, also seeing like the under twenty threes and the junior races, I always think they're brilliant. Oh, that's they're, great. 
yeah, super super you, aggressive riding. So hopefully we're still. Were you up that. in Harrogate last year? Did you make it to Harrogate last year? I, I didn't actually make it. No, I watched every race fully live on you know on the TV on stream, but I didn't actually get there. Which has the weather. Yeah, I mean the weather made it very very good, didn't it? I've been I've been to a few over the years, Belgium and. France. It's a great week, isn't it? It's the first one yeah. I've been to. Absolutely brilliant. Watching, I loved actually the 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 junior races under 23s oh, i'd yeah. say the men's elite i was bloody freezing in the rain it was a miserable <laughs> old day that did look epically hard i mean the, the women's race was amazing wasn't it? yeah fantastic amazing yeah, they, race you get a little bit of criticism maybe from abroad but i mean i thought the races were absolutely i thought it was fantastic the, the whole week that was brilliant I, I mean they can't do anything the weather obviously that's just what it was isn't it but the, the, i thought the courses they designed were brilliant Oh, that that circuit. Well, I'm sure most of the world's done it now on Zwift, but it's it's a tough old circuit to, oh, yeah, to yeah. race around 17 times or whatever as well. Really? Yeah, some serious elevation going, heavy road. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and on a personal level, what, what races are you gutted to be missing this year? Yeah, I, I like the early season race, so I, I, and I've got two races in. But I always like I always enjoy like the uh, they're, they're more local, obviously regional races to me, but things like the uh, the Wally Gimba Trophy. Um, there's, there's just good level national bees. And the yeah. National Masters road race was a little bit of a target again this year because that was on where is it? Right, way up north at Hull uh, and on a very hard circuit. And I really enjoyed that last year. So I don't think that's going to run. And that was due to be in July, but maybe maybe the following year. Yeah, what's the current status? Are we, are we still waiting to see timing-wise or it looks like yeah, racing's done for the year? Like cycling time trials, which is the... the national body for time trialing in the uk they've released a sort of revised calendar with most of the national champs dates in september october so and i really think that will that will happen and i think realistically we might be looking you know, late august maybe for some road racing we'll see i guess we just got to see like there's that's, that's that's the bit of the problem for the for the racing cyclists and keeping the racing cyclists motivated at the moment when you when you have yeah. it in mind then it's quite it's so much easier to to have that that motivation that focus to say this is why you're getting on the train or this is why you're doing this particular ride and having that sort of mental image of racing whereas when you don't have that and it's all a bit of a gray area then yeah not so much so but a lot of riders say that the last week or so started mentioning cyclocross already so i think i'm it'll... just gonna ask you that <laughs> i think it's gonna be a very busy busy cross season and we, we've got the cross the crawley winners are promoting the cross nationals this year which is very local to us so i think that's going to be hugely popular this year yeah i bet i was just that was my next question to say i bet most of your athletes are looking uh looking at cross for for the winter because it's, it's difficult right if you've got had your summer season right. written off yeah. you want to ride race towards something but so, so how are you tweaking pro are you are you tweaking programs accordingly to get riders potentially ready for cross or is it a bit early yet it's a bit early yet but say like um, some riders maybe just be doing it for the first time i've got a bike this is a, this is a particular rider of mine and then you just, it's just a case of getting maybe they're in their midweek endurance ride we say head out on the cross bike go to the woods and just get used to the feel of the bike and practice your skills I mean, it's, a, it's a hugely technical sport as well as physical so being confident on the bike is going to be a, a massive thing but then we yeah a bit later probably more like august time if depending on what the on what the calendar starts to look like that by then, we might start to think about more specific um, cyclocross actual specific sessions. Yeah, what what does that look like? Just have interest. That a lot of sort of shorter efforts, worse well, a yeah, lot of well, long intensity to doing what you might do to a for a crit, but overgeared. It's, it's, a, it's a different kind of effort. It's a pun- from what say like punching out of a corner in a in a crit to a cyclocross because generally it's going to be much slower from a in a bigger gear, so really talky. Yeah, and that sort of over unders. Yeah. 
15, 15 efforts and what have you. Yeah. And do you, you got clients down in Australia as well? I don't personally, but one of the other coaches at Train Sharp does. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, given given where they're at going into the winter, it's probably uh, a good time for anyone listening in Australia to, to reach out if they want to put a structured winter program together. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. For, for hopefully racing next spring. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, your summer, your summer fitness. That's all. That's all built over the winter. And in terms of your favourite places to ride outside the UK, where where are your favourite places to travel? Uh, you look I, went for? To, I went to Luca last year to to visit a, an ex training shop coach who's now working with was Dimension Data was it NTT now, and he's based out there, and that, that was amazing. The, the roads. I think I was very lucky with the weather as well. I didn't see a cloud in the sky for the full week, but the the, the, the train out there I thought was amazing. It was just picture postcard views and every ride and yeah i love that mallorca is great we did a we did a training camp with the team i ride for noon signal out in kelpe at the start of last year and i was super impressed out there i don't know why i didn't have it i didn't have in mind the roads would be as scenic or as varied as what they were so you can see why so many of the teams head out there in the in the early season so yeah anyway nice sunshine. yeah it's, be- it's become a huge hub actually hasn't it for for cycling yeah, full stop place to go now i think the the climate's that bit more consistent and there's a, there's a really good variety right so if you want to head to fairly flattish circuits and do specific drills then you can do it um, without having to slog up mountains every day <laughs> which isn't always yeah, the good. it's a good training no absolutely yeah it's nice for me obviously i've been in asia for nine years so i'm sort of re rediscovering uh, some of the cycling hotspots in europe which yeah, is yeah. great and with with lockdown going on at the moment, what what are your views with regards? You mentioned your team there, but I think it's a very difficult time for for all cycling pro teams, the World Tour particularly. Do you think this is an opportunity that maybe the sport can look to restructure? And do you have any views on how that m- might work? Or because I think it's very yeah, it's really difficult time for the sport. I was just messaging a couple of weeks back one of the guys who runs one of the big domestic teams over here and asking how his sponsors have been with him and where they're being supportive and you can understand obviously if the sponsors had to put their staff on furlough then they're going to be making cutbacks and I think that the teams that are really proactive on social media and looking for other ways to get publicity are the ones who are going to be who are going to survive I mean it's going to be tough times for sure isn't it but I think that this guy's like, yeah, the NTT actually, really like Victor Kempenarts on YouTube and the, the guys who are yeah. very engaging and offer, offer something that's, okay, so you're not, you're not able to race, you're not able to promote your sponsor in the, in the usual way, but you can still, still engage when, engage with the, with the public and advertise the, you know, the products you use and say why you like them. And I think they're the, that's probably way more important than ever uh, at the moment to be able to still give some value to the sponsors. Long, long term with the actual racing calendar, I mean, the, Cycling is a kind of a very unusual model in sports, anyway, isn't it? With the, the sponsors and not having that. It's so reliant on the sponsors, isn't yeah. it? It yeah. it's, makes it almost uh, impossible to plan. You almost need, you, yeah, you almost need. Even at the higher level, like, just it just seems to be almost like a year, year by year, hand to mouth sort of um, you know, survival, rather than a you know, so like how a football club might operate. And you can really see why the, I think it was Jonathan Vorter said about building a a fan base for a particular team it's why it's so difficult in cycling because the sponsor might change in in a year's time and then you know the shirt design yeah, might colors be- change name change yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah it's quite difficult yeah. and that- where other, other sports would have that fan base whereas in cycling it's much more probably about the the, the the fans like a particular rider and they're not that fussed about really maybe what team he rides for 
And yeah, that's what I always thought. That, 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 team completely, but they're, 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 the fan is still going to like that rider or support that rider rather than the actual team. But as a business model, that's obviously pretty hard. It's difficult. Yeah, there need there needs to be an alternative revenue stream. That's why I always thought there should be some sort of platform whereby you can offer a revenue stream to the World Tour teams. I know there's the Vel on a little bit. I think GCN doing more with Eurosport now. But if they, if you could basically like Rugby Pass, I don't know if you follow rugby, but that is an app where people subscribe to, and you can get you can watch matches, you can get highlights. But if you could off, build something like that, that would offer a revenue stream to the pro teams that would just make them a little less reliant on sponsorship because yeah, it's yeah, so difficult yeah. being so reliant on sponsorship I, I read somewhere um and sorry I can't remember where it was that I think Mitchelton Scott got better publicity by not racing Paris Nice um, really? and doing yeah, doing Zwift rides instead they got far more column inches their, their sponsors were happier with them not even yeah, racing it yeah. which is just nonsensical right that doesn't make any sense yeah, but then it's like their, you know, their backstage pass videos and uh, the YouTube channels like EF uh, Alternative Canada. I thought stuff like that, that engages with the public really well. I mean, it does, yeah. Long term yeah. for a sponsor, they're doing like I say, like a minor race in Belgium and being in the top ten. That's kind of irrelevant in the terms of like global global coverage. But a rider who's who's very engaging and has that nice personality in front of the camera, then yeah, that's that's you can see why that's that's a real worthwhile asset. And you can see that even in the UK domestic scene, there's there's various riders who might have like a YouTube channel and are very good at that kind of self promotion. You can see why they've got a value to to a team. To add to it. Yeah. No, I do get that. And what are your views? You mentioned that, you know, you've got athletes that you're coaching specifically for Zwift or online platforms. What are your views of virtual racing? Is it something you've tried? Do you enjoy it? Do you think there's any future in it from a professional standpoint? I think I think it's been a real absolute godsend during for the riders during lockdown. There's yeah, just to be able to get that little bit of competition. I mean, it's been hugely popular. It's something I must admit I'm not massively into myself, but that's maybe just because I've been racing an awful long time and don't feel the need to absolutely rinse myself on a on a trainer in a race. I've, I've raced more than enough. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so again, going back to that thing with the, like the, at the moment with the for the pro teams, it, it's still giving them a chance to get some exposure. They were showing the race at the Alpha Zwift live on Eurosport on Saturday, both the, the ladies and men's. And to be fair, it was actually it was pretty decent. The, the GCN did a good good job of presenting it. I think I think it's a definite obviously very safe environment, and it's a it's a it's a very good alternative to racing. It's never gonna it's never gonna I don't think replace or be a rival for real racing because part of what racing is all about is as much as the athletic achievement is i always think overcoming the environment and the and the road in front of you so then you've got the skill factor as well but as, as a as a substitute it's i guess it's like rowing on the erg and rowing circles isn't it it's like it's an athletic an athletic achievement as much as you know, without, without so much of the skill set but yeah zwift, zwift is a different one isn't it because you've got to actually learn how to race on zwift and use the power-ups and yeah I think there's some yeah there's some skills to it isn't there there's uh yeah there's more more but yeah appreciate those guys have done very well out of out of lockdown no doubt hopefully that's probably that's probably uh benefited the the most like the the producers of smart trainers and uh and zrift must have done very well yeah I think I think most places sold out of smart trainers can't get them for love and money now I'd say the, the the rides I have done outside that's one of the the good things i have noticed just so many people out on their bikes people have pulled their bikes out of sheds that have been there since mid 90s or maybe even earlier since when you started racing but it's nice to see so many people riding well i was was talking to john about this and saying maybe obviously lockdown 
it's a worrying time for for a business owner and it is uncertain times. So I said maybe as a silver lining, it reminded me uh, 2012 when Brad won the Tour and, and the Olympics and I think we just see just so many people out on their bikes. So it's so a long term. It could just be that one of those, another nice little spikes that really bring the sport on. We've been very lucky in the UK with the, pretty much since lockdown, the weather's been lovely and the roads are quiet. So it's one of the, the first time years and years I can remember seeing actual families out on the bike. You might have like a four-year-old and mum and dad and obviously they're confident enough that roads aren't too busy that they can actually go out and enjoy it. Yeah, it's great to see. I've loved, I've loved seeing that actually, to be fair. And I was going to ask you, you mentioned John there. In terms of the the lab, what 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 kind of testing stuff do you do you have there? And can anyone just sort of come down and and, and test where they're at with stuff? Yeah, yeah. Anyone can anyone can book in for a test. So we have a, a an SRM an SRM bike. I'm not one of the sports scientists myself, so I'm not going to get too technical. But we do a the, the sort of gold standard test is a map test, which is doing a uh, a ramp test to exhaustion. We we usually do a blood lactate step test as a as a, as a warm-up because you're only really going to go up just above threshold for that and um, that's always quite an interesting one and we have the vo2 mass that give you give you vo2 values and then de- depending on what the rider goals are i mean there's a few there's a few tests we do but yeah anyone can anyone can book in for an hour an hour of torture then it's the place to be <laughs> <laughs> sounds horrific uh, no it sounds awesome it sounds awesome and if, if people want to get hold of you or have any questions what we'll do so i get your your email and, and, and website and all the information they need into the show notes and they can just reach out directly and you'll fix the time to have a chat around what maybe you guys can do yeah for sure yeah yeah, be happy to speak to anyone. So you are take, you're taking on new cl- clients at the moment. It's still growing yeah, the business. Yeah, we have a team of coaches that change up. So, I mean, how the pr- process would normally work with John would most most riders would speak to John first, and then he'd a, a, assign a coach who he thinks would be best to work with. Or you, you you can ask for a particular coach if there's someone you particularly want to work with. So um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be a case of contact myself or John and. We can have a chat. Is there anything else I've missed that I should have critically asked you, or is there anything else you want to tell everyone? No, I don't think so. I think we've covered most things. No. Yeah, it's been a great chat. Thank you very much for for joining me. I need to go get on the turbo now. I've got what have I got today? <laughs> Leaving the training late in the day, so you've got to get on and earn your dinner. Yeah, I know it's been a busy busy day, but I've got threshold pushing duration build today. Ah, oh, beautiful. Gonna love that. thank you very much for joining us we'll make sure anyone who's got any questions gets in touch and good luck with the rest of lockdown and when the season kicks off good luck with that and hopefully we'll get you back on to come and have a chat with us again lovely good to chat you Jules cheers Chris thanks a lot thank you thanks for listening please subscribe to the podcast and more importantly don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub we'll see you on there